graduated from high school, went to college for a year, actually a semester, had to come home. I'm like, man, I don't know what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. And luckily, God put me in a position where I knew people to help me get ahead, and I t was able to take advantage of that. And that's when I was introduced to this industry, right? Yeah. And from then, it was 31 years ago, and it has been a, a inch, absolutely treat and uh, a learning experience every step of the way. Hello, my name is Matt Brose of Lockton. In my role, I consult with employers all around the country related to their employee benefits strategy. We're in conversations all the time about how to attract the best talent and get the best out of their people. Work ethic, integrity, those are all traits of people that pursue excellence and it doesn't even stop there. From the boardroom to the storeroom, we're gonna find out what drives those people. Welcome to the excellence culture. This is going to be an excellent adventure. Well, welcome to the excellence culture. Uh, my name is Matt Brost with Lockton, and I am really excited to have in the seat next to me Brian Early, who is the general manager of Glen Eagles Country Club um, here in the Dallas area. And I've had the fortune of working alongside, I guess as a colleague, maybe not alongside at the same club back when I was in the golf business um, a while back before I got in the insurance industry. Um, but we worked for the same management company. He was a general manager of a club. I was a general manager of a club. And just the time that I got with you, which wasn't that long, right? But the time that I got with you, I knew that you were somebody that just woke up in the morning and pursued excellence in everything that you do. So um, you're one of the first people I wanted to have on this because it was related to you that I had the idea of doing this, these conversations. Yeah. And um, I was at your member guest at Glen Eagles, and I took a picture of you when you were out grilling burgers for your members, yeah. and I posted it on LinkedIn, and next thing you know, I mean, it got a crazy amount of attention, and I just felt like, man, this is something that people want to talk about, where there's just people that go above and beyond in what they do. Yeah. And excellence is not a fancy thing. Excellence is just kind of doing what we're supposed to do, right? right? Yeah. And you do it. Thank so, you. I appreciate that. So I really appreciate yeah. you taking this time with me. Um, I'd love if you just kind of did just a brief introduction to yourself, and then I'm going to probably kind of go past, present, future a little bit with okay. you and, yeah. and just get your story when it comes down to it. Man, appreciate you having me, Matt. Yeah. You know, I actually started in this industry back in 1992 as a busser, if you can believe that, right? <laughs> uh, from Dayton, Ohio. And I got to tell you, before I even got into this business, I never knew private clubs existed. Yeah. Not, not where I'm from, right? So out of a whim, I had an opportunity to become a, a busser at one of uh, a club called Dayton Racket Club. Which is kind of a city club. I was born athletics. in Dayton. Ohio, Were you really? By the way, yeah. Where? But I only lived there for a year. Okay. So All my right. Dad, my dad was in the Air Force. Very cool. Right path. Yeah. Right? yeah. All right. So yeah. I um, had an opportunity to take a job there, and my best friend's dad was the maitre d'. So never knew it existed, but by time when I started there, I knew probably by the first month that I was in something unique because it was a business that challenged somebody like me from where I'm from to have conversations with people, look them in the eye to have a conversation where yeah. they did do that before, not where I'm from, right? So it's pretty unique. And from there, busser, server, a captain, which is a leader, service director. And before you know it, I started there when I was 22. By the time I was 28, 
I left the company to become a GM at another company. So within six years, wow. I was my first general manager's job. And Were you still in Ohio then? I was or? still in Ohio, okay. right? Uh, wasn't a very good general manager, but I was a general manager nonetheless. I remember when I became a general manager, I had no idea what and I was getting into. Right? I just thought, hey, I, I played golf. I, I can do this. <laughs> it's a little bit different. Totally man. different Absolutely. managing people versus playing golf. 100%. So, yeah. uh, so I had an opportunity to just make work my way up through ranks. I've uh, been all kind of over the country, been to Montgomery, a couple of cities in, uh, in Alabama, right? Came to San Antonio, uh, Austin, back to San Antonio, now in DFW. But it's been a great, great journey, right? Uh, and every time I go to work, I learn something new. And you talk about excellence, it's, it's defined so many different ways. You know, we could talk about that, but it is absolutely critical in the world that we live in, isn't it? Yeah, it's so critical. I mean, um, I think we're seeing just the idea of excellence becoming more and more rare. You know, and I don't know, I mean, we can probably say there's a lot of things that are distracting the current workforce, sure. um, technology, social media, all the things that get people waking up in the morning thinking about other things to pursue versus just be the person that we're called to be, you 100%. know? And um, so, yeah, that's, that's where I hope this kind of conversation goes is We'll be able to talk about how you're kind of solving for that, talk about how your company is solving for that. Um, but I want to kind of go back, backtrack a little bit, and I want to hear about your childhood. Sure. Um, hear about your upbringing, um, you know, any role models you might have had that, that were a part of, you know, Brian Early becoming Brian Early. So, Well, I got to tell you, it's, it's a pretty deep story, so I'll keep it short, but <clears throat> I got to tell you, it's, uh, so I grew up inner city Dayton, and uh, back in, born in 1971, um, had a Pretty good childhood, but as we grew up, if you know about any major city, uh, the inner city, you know, I think uh, industries like Dayton, Ohio, uh, GM, truck and bus plant, all those industries started moving out of the city. So the cities that were so dependent on that uh, kind of dried up. So people needed to work, you know, just the economy got worse in Dayton and people trained, turned to different ways of making money, right? Yeah. Kind of like drugs and things yeah. like that. So, <clears throat> and where I grew up at, I was not sheltered from that. I didn't sell drugs, but I was in an area where that happened. So when I say I didn't know this private club industry existed, I literally meant that. I remember there was a daily fee course, we called it a Muni, Muni course then, uh, that Dayton had. I remember the bus driver, our school bus, just ride past it every day, right? But nothing's fancy about it. So that's the only thing I knew about golf, right? Until literally I grew up and uh, was exposed to the private club world. In this case, it was really a dining facility yeah. more than anything. And again, it was just an, 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 an atmosphere that I didn't know existed, but what I realized is that I actually thrived in that, in that atmosphere, yeah. right? Didn't know I had it in me, to be quite honest with you. Um, graduated from high school, went to college for a year, actually a semester, had to come home. And like, man, I don't know what I'm gonna do with the rest of my life. And luckily, God put me in a position where I knew people to help me get ahead, and I t was able to take advantage of that, and that's when I was introduced to this industry, right? Yeah. And from then, that was 31 years ago, and it has been a, a absolutely treat and uh, a learning experience every step of the way. Yeah. Uh, it allowed me to take care of my family, right? And I don't want to get too emotional about it, but it allowed me to um, travel. It allowed me to, yeah. you know, it's just everything that I didn't think I would be able to have, right, yeah. growing up. The way I grew up, I've been able to achieve it and more, right? So God has blessed me and my family beyond 
words that I can even describe to you. I'd like to hear what brought you to Texas. Sure. So I heard about that first GM job that was still in Ohio. What brought you to Texas? So it's funny. So um, after my first GM job, I actually left that company. I was recruited to come back to Club Corp at the time. But this time, they wanted to send me back um, uh, to Montgomery, Alabama at the Capital City Club. I was the assistant general manager there for a year. And um, and that's not a golf club. That's it a, is not. It's a city club, again, okay. just dining yeah. only at this yep. case, right? Yeah. And uh, I was there for about nine months So they wanted to send me to Huntsville, Alabama. We had a club down there called a Heritage Club that we divested that club, meaning they were just going to get rid of it. So I was there for three months, standing in a, a hotel, right, just trying to get everything packed up before yeah. I could move on, right? <laughs> How about that job? I know, something <laughs> else. I was like, okay, does everybody <laughs> like me or hate me? I don't know. But uh, I finally got the call and said, hey, there is a club in San Antonio that, again, that we need you to sit on because the manager uh, just left the club. There's no manager there. You know, go down there. If you like it, you know, maybe it could be your club, et cetera. So I went down to San Antonio. Matt, I remember standing in an extended stay hotel. And the really cool about, about this story is, is that my first week there is where I met my wife. Oh, wow. Right? And we just celebrated our uh, 11th anniversary, 11th year anniversary, but 17 years together. And, um, and she, was she from San Antonio? She's from West Virginia, Charleston, oh, okay. West Virginia. Okay. But she was there right out of college from Hampton University, working for Sears, right? And <laughs> I remember going to Valero to get a Hot Pocket, and that's where I met her at Valero, <laughs> right? It was something funny. Um, but I was just, just she it, caught your eye. She and you're did. Like, I, I so want I mean, your number. Yeah, she, she's beautiful. That was kind of like that what it was, right? But uh, I had my uh, wingman on the phone, which is my best friend at the time. I was like, man, I don't know. Should I go up there and say something to her? But it was a pretty cool experience, and uh, she'd tell the story just a little bit different, but it was it was good. But I was in San Antonio. The manager, the uh, regional vice president at the time, came to me and said, hey, you can have this club, or you can move on. To, we can get you a different club, right? Do you want to stay here, et cetera? But at that time, I had met my future wife, so I was like, I'm, I'm going to stay. Let's take it out. So that's how I ended up in Texas. Okay. This was back in 2006. And which club was that? In San this Antonio? was the Plaza Club, downtown San Antonio. Okay. It was in a Frost Bank Tower. Okay. Right? I was there for two and a half years before the company, uh, the Debman family, who owned Club Corp at the time, sold the company to a private equity firm called KSL. Okay. Right? And I decided after two and a half years of the being there, it wasn't necessary for me, yeah. which I was then recruited by our uh, compadre, yeah, our ex-boss, which is a mutual person, that's Stephen Hell, to come work at the yeah. Dominion Golf Group. Yeah. And a funny story about that, he wanted me at the, at the Dominion Country Club for like their number two under Aaron. You remember yeah. Aaron? Yeah. But the reality of it was is it going to be kind of like a food and beverage? It was. Focus? It was. Okay. That's correct. Okay. Yeah. Um, but he, they had just brought ten, Twin Creeks in Cedar Park, sure. and the clubhouse was not finished, but the club has already, the course had already been open. And it was owned by Crescent, and uh, Stephen Held and Dominion Golf Group came in and bought it. So he said, come up here and stand on this club, just sit on it for me. Right. And ironically enough, again, six months later, it's like, oh, you're not going back. You need to stay here in this club. So that's where I ended up in, in, in Austin. Okay. And I was with those, I think I was with them for like seven and a half years. Yeah, yeah. And you were great. Oh, you, were, you, you were great there. I remember... <laughs> You know, I wasn't with the Dominion Golf Group for very long, um, but I remember being in a room with you with all the GMs, and I remember really wanting to listen when you talked. Oh, I appreciate that. So, um, and that comes with experience, yeah. right? I mean, I think you were talking earlier about, hey, you knew the right people and it gave you an opportunity. Well, knowing the right people doesn't usually happen just by chance. Like, 
you know, you you obviously stood out, yeah. and um, and you have you have your whole career. So, kudos. Um, you know, I I'm a little sensitive to to wanting to talk about this, but I think it's such a meaningful thing to talk sure. about. You know. Um, for me, being in the golf industry for so long, having grown up in golf, played golf in college, then played golf on tour, and then was a general manager of a club, I'm not naive to think that the golf industry is pretty behind the ball as it relates to, let's, let's say, racial reconciliation, equality, et cetera. Um, and I can only imagine you've had some things that you've had to overcome um, you know, do you, do you have anything, you know, c to kind of say about that, draw back on any experiences you've had or anything? No, it's interesting you say that. I would, I would more classify, classify it as biases versus direct racism, right? And I'm sure it's out there. I'm sure that I'm probably oblivious to some things that people are doing to me or want to do to me, et cetera. But the reality of it is um, I've been, a, as the older I get, right, the more uh, consciously aware I become of biases, right, versus uh, the racism that I see on a daily basis, if it, if it, because it doesn't come directly to me as yeah. a general manager. Yeah. And it's funny you say that because I'm actually the um, the co-chair of our company's DEI council, right? Mm -hmm. And one thing I talk to my staff at is, is about the biases that we consciously and unconscious biases. Mm -hmm. And I've experienced more of that. And I'll give yeah. you an example, right? Yeah. <clears throat> there were a couple of times where. Um, I come in, I speak to somebody, and they say they shake my hand before seeing my name tag, and they say, and say, and you are? It's like, oh, I'm the general manager. And you can see their reaction. It's not a negative one, yeah. but it kind of catches them off guard, right? Mm -hmm. As they I they weren't expecting to see that. Yeah. And then they go into questions like, you're the general manager of the whole thing, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's just a the restaurant. It's just, no, no, the general manager of the entire club, right? Yeah. So that's a bias, in my opinion, that they didn't think that an African-American would be in that role, yeah. right? I don't think it's a racist thing, right? I just think it just kind of caught them off guard because we are under, we are not represented well when it comes to African-American general managers in this industry. I'm yeah. sure you can un yeah. work with us before, right? Yeah. So I think it's just one of those things there, right? Um, have I had to overcome some things? Sure. Yeah. Do I think um, the pathway for me could have been easier? Maybe, but I gotta tell you, I, I create my own destiny, yeah. right? by using some of that, we were talking about this earlier, using some of that as fuel, yeah. you're right, to prove people wrong if they do have those biases. Yeah. Um, and that's what drives me, you know, just make sure that I can provide for my family. And you know what, and I can't change people's perception right, of me. Yeah. I could try, right, but if they're gonna have a preordained perception and they just wanna keep that and that's who he is, that, that's fine, I can't do that. Yeah. What I do on a daily basis, we talk about excellence, Yeah. right, part of that is, I walk at the club with my head up, and I speak to everybody, right? Even if I don't know them, you say hello to everybody. That's what I know of you, man. Right? You yeah. just got to do it. Right? Yeah. That's one of the things you got to do in our business. Yeah. Well, I mean, to take that back to that time where I saw you cooking burgers for all the members. I yeah. mean, that's how you roll, man. Yeah. And and that's a light, yeah. you know? And um, and I think it's a light that probably overcomes the darkness yeah, a lot. And so um, that's, that's really neat. Um, so thanks for kind of sharing about that. Yeah, sure. uh, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily want this this episode to be all about that, right? Yeah. Because um, but it's it's part of it is society, it is. isn't it? Yeah, it yeah. is. It's part of society, and yeah. it's especially part of the golf world. It is one hundred percent. So I think it's a conversation that's meaningful for sure. Uh, I will tell you this, Matt. Though I think yeah. within our organization, um, 
we are very intentional as an organization to to try to break down those walls, yeah. racism or biases. And one of the things that we do, as I was telling you earlier, that we partnership up with the um, first tier of Greater Dallas and Fort Worth, and we have what we call the Gateway Program, which allows us to uh, invite uh, youths at underserved communities to come within our clubs to be members all the way through college, right? To have an opportunity. And it's to not play. a color thing. It's, it's not. But it's not. It's, it's an opportunity. It's thing. not. But it allows us to penetrate yeah. those underserved communities. Yeah. Right. Where they could come into our high-end clubs to have a great experience in golf. Right. That's really cool. The future so of golf. Is, what does that experience look like? Well, it's funny. So they have to go through, through the first tier of, of, of Greater Dallas and Fort Worth. Mm -hmm. Once they get in that program, we get maybe like our club. We have four individual kids that come to our club. Right. We give we set them up with member numbers, right, and they can actually go out and play golf. They have a certain time they have to be up there and play golf, right? Mm -hmm. Free access to the range. Um, their parents they don't have member numbers or anything like that, but again, to open up our great quality golf courses to these individuals, yeah. and it's all the way through college now, yeah. right? So even when they go off to college, they still have access to some of our associate clubs, but they still come home and this is their home club, right? And by That's doing awesome. that, yeah, by doing that. These are future golfers, yeah. right? And we love the game of golf. We know in order for us to grow it, we have to start with our youths in all areas, right? And uh, I just think it's going to have a huge pack impact on the golf industry as well as my industry, the hospitality industry. Well, hospitality and and I would say, you know, in the in this world where kids have such little interaction with human beings, much less adults, right? But I think that's one thing that I take for granted that I had as a kid experience, the experience that I have as a kid coming up in the golf world is that I didn't stay at home and play video games. I went to the golf course and played golf and had conversations with adults all day, et cetera. And, um, and I think that that is something that we need, right? And for y'all to be able to offer that um, to, you know, kids who otherwise wouldn't have that opportunity at all, I think is really, really cool. And I would, also say that's probably a significant sacrifice. Um, I, we would, I think it's a it's a sacrifice for the right reason. Yeah, right? yeah. Right? And I just think it's the right thing to do and that's what I love about Invited now, yeah. right, is that we are intentional about what we're, what we're doing and what we want to do. So is Invited doing that at a lot of their clubs? Yeah, it's, so country? we have the Gateway in the Greater Dallas area, clearly. Okay. But um, we are instrumental at, at um, preserving the game of golf through our youth, right? And, and really, if we stand, we're going to be a leader in DEI, we're going to be a leader in diversity, we have to go out there sometimes and make it happen, right? So to go out to these underserved communities, and, and as well as our hiring practices, to to make sure that they understand that they can have an opportunity, a future, a career with a company like Invited, that's what we're going to do, yeah. right? And this is all led by Dave Pillsbury, our CEO, yeah. right? And without him being at the forefront of this, it wouldn't happen. Yeah, it sounds like you there's know that. some good things going on there. 100%. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's talk about just you kind of personally as a manager. Um, obviously, you have a pretty significant responsibility in kind of er, elevating the experience that people have at your club, um, but also just the impact that you have in the lives of your employees, et cetera. So I'd like to know, just put on your general manager hat, what are some unique things that Brian Early is doing um, that maybe other managers can learn from? Because you are doing a wonderful job. I mean, the experiences that I've had at your club um, have been great experiences, and it does seem like your employees enjoy doing what they do. And so, any kind of unique things that you're doing inside your club that 
Well, it's funny. It's the three fundamental things that any general manager must do. The first one is uh, set clear, clear, clear expectations, right? Second one is to uh, um, is, is give the tools to do the job. Mm -hmm. And third one is to ensure execution, right? Yeah. You do those three things right off the bat. Now, that means a lot, though, yeah. right? Ensure execution. I've heard inspect, inspect what, what you, you expect. Yes, yeah, sir. Yes. That, <laughs> yeah. It's the same thing, yeah. right? Yeah. But again, a lot of times, a lot of, as general managers, we go with setting expectations, but we don't do the other two. Or we may yeah. do two out of three. Or we may do you know, the first and the third without doing the second one. We don't give the tools to do the job. It's extremely important to do all three if you really want your people to, to execute at a high level, right? And listen, we're human. We're going to make mistakes. Yeah. But what do we do? How do we get up and how do we keep going? We, you and I were talking earlier. Expectations from members that pay dues has gone up year over year over year over year. With technology now, right? It was kind of Well, easy. dues are getting more and more I expensive. Know. Yeah, but I get it, though. I 100% get it. So yeah. how do we, as general managers, keep our staff, give them the tools, and so we can keep that level of expectation, level of service to the degree of expectation? There was a time, man, we were just trying to meet expectations, yeah. right? And sometimes that was hard. So we have 1,630 member families, right? How do we treat each member the same by treating them differently? Right? That's, that's the key, yeah. right? People pay us for the right to pay us to use their club. Think about that. Yeah. You pay me dues, right? Then you're going to come and pay for golf and food and beverage again. So our job is yeah. to ensure that we are giving you the level of expectation that you deserve yeah. as a dues-paying member. Yeah, you don't want to be able to go to the restaurant down the street 100%. and get a better Exactly, yeah, better exactly. And it's a challenge because we talk about employees, right? Yeah. You know, we have some employees that want to jump from job to job to chase a dollar, yeah. right? Realize that, okay, a dollar. Then it's really not, a, sometimes it's not about the money, right? It's about the experience of that employee. So if our focus was only towards taking care of the members and not the employees, you're gonna lose. Yeah. You know, the reality of it is, if you take care of your employees, they will take care of the members. Things will start to take care of itself, yeah. right? Yeah. So sometimes you're right. We have to reposition ourselves to pay a little bit more. But how do how do members how do the staff feel when they walk through the door? Mm -hmm. Do we speak to everybody? Do I walk past a staff person and say hi to a member before I walk past that staff person? Yeah. Absolutely not. I go in the kitchen every day, go down to outside services, and I give high fives to everybody. Everybody from that line cook to that dishwasher, all the way down yeah. to the, the guys who's cleaning the carts. Yep. Why is that important? I've seen you do that firsthand. Because they're forward-facing yeah. to the members, right? Mm -hmm. And if, if they see that coming from me, they're going to know that I expect that to them with the membership. Yeah. It needs to be reciprocated. So. I had somebody um, having a similar conversation to this on this channel, um, a guy named Clay Scroggins. Mm -hmm. And he's a, a leadership guru. Um, and he wrote a book called uh, How to Lead When You're Not in Charge, okay? And we were just kind of talking about just the challenge of motivating that entry-level employee. Um, and he really brought to the attention of those people who pursue excellence in the small things, um, it, will, it will make it that much more clear in the big things that they're, you know, that they're excellent. And... Um, you know, it, it really made me think about these frontline employees that are in the golf industry. Sure, you can be a frontline employee at, um, you know, the local restaurant or whatever. Um, but when you're faithful in those small things as a frontline employee in the golf industry, there's a lot of opportunity 
that can come out of the golf industry, whether it's in the golf industry or opens up an opportunity with one of those members. Right? Absolutely. And so, man, if anybody's watching this who is a frontline <laughs> employee in the golf industry, yeah. they need to understand that what they're doing right now on the day-to-day -day basis of pursuing being the best that they can be at that job that they think might not be that meaningful. I mean, it is going to pay. It's 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 going to have reward. Well, one of the reasons is because private clubs is all about relationships. Yeah, it really is. I can't tell you how many employees I've lost. Great op they, they pursue great opportunities with the people that we they serve on a daily basis, and it's huge. I don't get upset about it. It's a great opportunity for them to advance their own careers or to better their their lives. Right? I hate to lose good people. Yeah. But the reality is that is the basis of a of a private club and what yeah. we do. Right? If you don't build relationships, you don't think about that every day you come in, then you shouldn't be working for me. Yeah. Yeah. No, any large company who has a significant frontline um, staff um, has to realize that they want their employees to excel and they want their employees to move up, whether it's with them or not. Um, and so that's good. So. Talk to me a little bit about what Invited's doing. You've already said some amazing things. Um, you know, Invited, which used to be Club Corp, um, you know, has been around for a long time. Um, but it, it seems like there is some really neat momentum and they're doing some really neat things right now. For you and your role as a general manager leading people, um, how do they kind of support you with that? Um, yeah. What I love about what you just said, you're right. There, so the support comes in many different forms, right? And in a for-profit organization, mm -hmm. right? Financial partners are, are are important. But what I love about Invited is that they really understand we're not going to make it financially if we don't put um, invest the money and the resources towards taking care of the member experience, mm -hmm. right? And sometimes that was a lot of times that wasn't always the case with certain companies, right? Is get the money first, and then let's figure out how to take care of the members, yeah. right? But you know what I love about this is is that it frees up me as a general manager to really focus on the employees and the members, right? It becomes full circle. Now, do I have to make business decisions daily? Sure, I do. Yeah. Right? Do I call the VP and say, "Hey, I need your your help with this"? Sure, I do. That's the subject matter experts. Do we get on the phone and say, "Hey, why are we trending this way?" Absolutely. But the reality of it is, all those things are all those people are, are in line to help me run my business successfully. So one, I would say the resources that they provide, yeah. right? The manpower outside of the club is huge for us, right? Any successful organization, especially what we do, you're going to need those levels of leadership. And then, you know, ultimately, I just think it comes back down to the culture of the company, mm -hmm. right? When I say, and I think I said this earlier, you have Dave Pillsbury, ex-president of the PGA Tour, right? You have Bob Morris, our CEO, CEO and president. Right? You have Chuck Federson, the executive vice president of the golf club division. Now, all these three individuals, I got every one of them on speed dial. If I need to pick up the phone and, and I just call them. Yeah. And nobody's upset if I go from one guy to the next guy, right? So when you have that straight line type of Well, we've worked for some. Yes. We've, we've, right. it, we've worked where that's a challenge. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It is not. It is the greatest feeling in the world. You don't feel like now. you've got to watch your back? No. That's, yeah. And you know this. You, we've yeah. been there, right? Yeah. Where we're stepping on eggshells when we come to work. It is not that feeling. Now, do I have to perform? Yeah. Yes, I do. I have obligations. I have to meet financial goals. I have to meet members' expectations. If I don't, then yeah, I could have to be sat down and talked to. But the fear is not there, yeah. right? Now, 
I get more in trouble for not trying things versus trying things that fail. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Right? So it's just, it's, it's easier for me to get up and come to work on a daily basis. And it's yeah. work. It's a lot of work, right? Because you're managing personalities, per yeah. se. Not just from a membership perspective, but from an employee's perspective as yeah. well. Right? So I love the whole culture That's of good it right stuff. Now. That's good stuff. Well, I think we're going to need to wrap it up a little bit, but I want to hear, is there anything new that you're working on right now? Anything that you feel like you want to promote at all to this community? I do. I tell you, I, I'm excited that we have actually just started uh, the renovation of the Queens course. Uh, when I saw you last time, we had just came out of uh, renovating the Kings course. You did right? a great job. And it was, it's a beautiful yeah. golf course. Um, we are um, putting in the new sub air system for the big grass on the, uh, the Queens course. We're excited about it. We just shut down this past Monday. Expectations that we're going to be open late October, uh, early November. We got to make, got to make that timeline. So <laughs> I'm, I'm doing a remodel yeah. in my house right now, <laughs> really? and I'm telling you that sounds like a difficult timeline right there. Well, but. I got to tell you, it's um, it's exciting to be a general manager that's having all these projects. I don't know, pickleball is very, is huge now, so. Uh, invited is now yeah. the world's leader in pickleball courts, right? Wow. And pickleball, we have um, at our Brookhaven Country Club. They're about to, they just embarked on a 26 court addition to that place there. And I think, uh, don't quote me, but I think 14 or more is going to be pickleball courts, oh right? So we're excited about everything that's going on, not just that's at our cool. club, but within the corporation itself. Yeah. It's a good time to be part of Invited, man. It really is. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. Well, any, uh, any last words at all? No, I, I got to tell you, I appreciate you. You, yeah. you know, you, I remember working with you, and uh, you were kind of the quiet guy that could hit, hit the crap out of a ball, too, I tell <laughs> you. So I appreciate you inviting me here, yeah. and good luck to whatever you are doing and going to do hit now and in the future. And if yeah. I can ever be of service to you again, just let me know. I'd love to man. come on again. Appreciate it. Yeah, we'll do it for sure. All right. Thanks, Thanks man. man. Appreciate it.